Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you guys so much for being here. For those of you who are here in the house, thanks for being here. For those of you who are watching online, really appreciate you guys joining in. Um, the best seat in the house, once again, I think we're on the third uh, Sunday in a row. Backstage patio. Uh, I, I went out to say hi, and I very seriously considered like not coming back in here. It's gorgeous out there, so Chamber of Commerce weather today. So glad that you're here today. I love the song that we just sang because it talks about Jehovah Jireh, who is God our provider. And I love the fact that he is our provider, not because he provides for us, but by being the provider, we recognize that God is in charge, that God is supreme, that God is the one who provides everything that we need. And today is week two of our series called Counterfeit. We're studying through the book of Colossians. And I got to tell you, there's, there's a similar theme in Colossians, this idea that, that Christ is supreme. Justin and I are teaching this message series. You're going to hear from Justin next week uh, if he can get in the building next week. I, I tell you, his head is huge. As a Tennessee volunteer fan this morning, the guy's head is massive. It nearly didn't fit in the door, uh, but anyway, he'll be here next week. Um, if you see him, give him a congratulations. It doesn't happen often. Okay, so anyway, uh, that was really mean. I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, I was, as a Bulldogs fan, I was cheering last night for the Vols, all right? So the staff unity and that kind of thing. So anyway, yeah, anyway, go dogs. Anyway, hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Justin's going to be joining you next week for the third chapter in uh, this series, the third chapter in this book or letter as we're calling it. And if there's anything, if you, if you miss everything that we say, the one thing that I want you to capture when it comes to this letter that Paul writes to this particular church, and he, he's also writing it, I believe, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, he is uh, writing it to us. And that is this phrase, the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ, that he is supreme. That everything, everything is being held together by Jesus. Now, for us, that may seem like kind of a fact that we know as Christ followers, that we know intrinsically that Jesus is everything, and we sing about it, and we pray it, and it's kind of in our lives. The problem is, is that in many small ways, ways that we may not even see, we begin to let that idea that Jesus is everything, and he's in everything, we begin to let that fade out of our lives very easily. And that was what was potentially happening to the church that Paul was writing this letter to. He had gotten word about a church that he didn't even start. He was getting word, uh, he was in prison and he was getting word, actually in house arrest, he was getting word that there was a church that was gathering together and their faith was strong. But they were being pulled by a group of people called Gnostics. And the Gnostics were trying to get the Christians of this church to understand that knowledge was the thing that they should base everything on. That knowledge was the centerpiece of all the world. That knowledge held everything together. And there were a bunch of different spokes that came out of that knowledge. Like um, knowledge kind of had a, this idea and the spoke of there's a spiritual attainment that you could have. That Jesus already paid for. There was this worship of things like angels instead of God because of the search of knowledge said that you could do that. There was this spiritual secret that, 
that the Gnostics said could be found by just a few Christians. And so Paul was concerned that these people were going to be taken up and pulled away from their strong faith by these little things that hid in the shadows, that were hiding, that maybe they didn't see, and it might have been something that pulled them away from their faith. And what Paul was talking about was he was talking about the fact that there was an outside threat to the pure faith of these Colossians, of these Christians. And so he's writing a letter to them to help them be encouraged in terms of the threat. He responded to the threat, the spiritual threat in their lives and in our lives, not by showing us where we're wrong, but by showing us how Jesus is right. And I don't know about you, I, I respond so much better when people talk about how Jesus is right than they talk about how I'm wrong. And that's what Paul did in this letter, in this letter that he wrote to these Christians. He talks to them because they were threatened by a group of people that were saying, they were saying this, Jesus is fine, but he's less than God. Paul was concerned about that. Jesus is fine, but he's less than God. He was concerned that these people were saying that salvation could be earned by personal merit. And they were also saying to the Christians there that, that spirituality is revealed to just a selected few with a secret code. Now, now let's break that down today because some of you are like, I don't get this. I don't understand. There's not many Gnostics like in this church pulling us away. But I will say this. In our life, in our society, in culture, there are tons of things that want to, that desire to, pull the threads of our faith apart. There are tons of things out there that subliminally, maybe when we least know it, are trying to pull our faith apart. And so what happens is, is that we take a look at those things and we may go, I agree with that more than I do the Bible. And so I'm going to buy into those things that is compared to that philosophy or that cultural ideal or that political ideal or whatever it may be. And I agree with that more than I do the Bible. So I'm just going to pick and choose what I believe to be true and what I like about God's word. And listen, that's how our faith is threatened. When we take something else and we put it in the centerpiece where Jesus belongs, when we do that, we are very easy, easy to, to fall into the trap of what's called pluralism. Pluralism is when we take an ideal or a thought or a philosophy of the day or a cultural influence or something that we maybe make up and we mix it with our faith and all of a sudden we have this counterfeit faith. And so Paul is not talking about all the list of do's and don'ts that we need to do and the things that we don't need to do to be good Christians. In fact, he even tears that down to a certain extent. We're going to look at that in a moment. But what he does is he points to Jesus and he says, this this one who came and died for your sins also came to die to give you life on this side of heaven. But how many of us live the Christian life like we're dead? I'm going to ask a question this morning. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in the house. You guys can raise your hand uh, you know, if you feel comfortable doing that. Outside, you can raise your hand. If you're alone by yourself in your house. Kind of weird, but you can raise your hand too. So anyway, how many of you have been baptized as a believing Christian? I just want you to raise your hand this morning. And you can put your hands down. A lot of you have been baptized as a believing Christian. We call it believer's baptism. 
And just about a month ago, we, we baptized a dozen people in this church. It was awesome. Went down to the beach. We go down to Caligny in August. So I guess it was a little over a month ago. That's a pretty public baptism. Caligny Beach in August on Hilton Head Island. It's about as public as you can get. And the one thing that we always say when we're baptizing is we say we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we say you're buried with Jesus in his death as you go underwater. And we hold you down there for like three or four minutes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's really not that long. Uh, anyway... And when you come out of the water, you may not hear it, but we say you have been raised to walk in newness of life. The problem is, is that so many Christians do stay down there with Jesus in his death and never get to the point where they walk in the newness of life, myself included sometimes. Because we hear the things of the world and it pulls on those threads of our faith and we wake up one day and we have nothing left. And so Paul in chapter 2, as he said in chapter 1, he warns them about this seeking after knowledge for knowledge's sake and that Jesus is a centerpiece of everything. But he goes on and he, he essentially says, I I'm concerned about you. I'm worried about you. You are strong in your faith, but be careful, be careful, be careful. He's burdened for the Colossians. He wants them to live in love and in unity and in understanding of the things of God. But he says that they need to stand strong against plausible arguments of the day. Now, here's what usually gets at our faith. It's not the obvious things that are completely wrong that pulls at our faith. It's not the things that are obvious. We, we may know the things that are obvious. We may hear it from the outside and go, oh, that is definitely not like the way God wants me to live. That is not the truth of God's word. It's the little things that pull us away. It's the little things. It's the small arguments. It's the ones that are plausible that we think, you know what? That makes more sense than Jesus and God's word. And Paul saying, be warned, be careful. You need to live alive. Check it out in Colossians chapter 2, 6 through seven. Check this out. He says, because I'm concerned about you, because I want you to be careful, I want you to live in unity and faith and understanding of the things of God, and I don't want you to buy into plausible arguments. Therefore, he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. How many times have we seen in him so far? At least twice, right? rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught about in thanksgiving. Paul says, because I'm concerned about you, here's what I want you to do. I want you, this church that he's talking to and us now, I want you to go and live like you are a Jesus follower. Live like it. And he's essentially telling the church, you've already learned the things that you need to know about being a Christ follower, but you're just still living down here in the old way. You're not living alive with Christ. Go out and just live it. Do it. You know the way. This isn't go with your gut instinct. This is go with the spirit-led knowledge of being a Christ follower. I love the message. It's not on the screen, but the message version says, you received Christ Jesus, the master, now live him. Goes on to say, schools out, quit studying the subject and start living it. 
time to live like you're a Christ follower. You remember growing up, I don't, I don't know about you, we, we lived on a, on a street that was relatively busy when I was young. I mean, like, really young, like four, five, and six years old. And, and we didn't have technology. I, I know I don't look that old, but I am okay. We didn't have a lot of technology. So my life was my bike. I loved riding my bike. <laughs> Me and my buddies, we'd ride all over the place. This was in Florida. We would ride, like, through orange groves. And, you know, I mean, I would drive my mom insane because I was up until it was late at night riding my bike all over the place. I had a mongoose, blue BMX mongoose bike. It was awesome. And I remember I would leave. It was beautiful. It was great. All right, so we, I left it across the street, and I would run across the street, and my dad would yell, or my mom would yell, look both ways before you cross the street. I'd hear it all the time. Any of you hear that growing up? Look both ways before you cross the street. My mom was terrified that I was going to get hit on not really a busy road, but that's okay. I would run across the street as fast as I could, and I wouldn't look both ways. But you know, by the time I was like 13 or 14 or 15 years old, my mom didn't have to yell that to me anymore, right? We, didn't need, we don't need that reminder. As a young child, we needed that reminder. As, as a growing high school kid and adult, we don't need the reminder on the small things. We just need to live it. And some of you within the sound of my voice know the way that you're living like you're dead. And part of the reason I know that you may be in that place is I've been there too. I've been there too. Living like I'm not a Christ follower, but being a Christ follower. And, and he's saying it's time to stop living a counterfeit life. It's, stop, it's, time to, it's time to stop living a lie and live Alive. Listen, you are a Christ follower. You have everything you need. It's time to start living alive. That's what Paul's telling this church in this letter. And sometimes I think we need to hear that too, don't we? The time for being in the grave has ended. The time that our sins have been forgiven has gone. It's time for us to start living for Jesus. Because as Paul says, this is all about Jesus. And I think there are three things in chapter 2 that he highlights that I think will help us to live alive. You see, we will live alive if we are captivated by Christ, first and foremost. We will live alive if we are captivated by Christ. What are you captivated with? What are you captivated with? What gets your attention what pulls you away from the things that you know will deepen your faith and spur you on in your faith and will spur you on to love each other, that will spur you on to be a better mom or dad or husband or wife and Christ follower, friend, neighbor, coworker, student? What are the things that pull you away? I, I, I mean, we all have things that pull us away, right? I mean, we all, how many of you have things that will captivate you more than Jesus? Let's be honest, this morning you're in church anyway, right? I'm, I'm right there with you. Saturday football, man. I'm admitting it. Georgia Bulldogs, I, I look all day long on my phone. What they, how, many, how many points didn't they score this week? You know? Well, how are they going to do against Tennessee now that they've won on November the 5th? I know the date. That's really sad. I'm proving my point. I'm captivated sometimes by college football on Saturdays and Liverpool on Sundays, and that's a whole other story. But anyway, so 
We are captivated by things that pull us away from Jesus. And the thing is, is those things aren't all bad. In fact, sometimes they're great and they're good. They're fun. They're enjoyable. But listen, when they become the thing that we're captivated by more than him, that's when we put our faith in jeopardy. That's when our faith is jeopardized. That's when we put our faith out there and it becomes threatened is when we're captivated by something other than Jesus. Colossians 2, 8 through 10, he says this, see to it, see to it. That, that's, that's an instruction. It's almost like a command. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. And what's that next word? Empty, deceit, according to, say it with me, human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity in the body dwells. Uh, excuse me, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, Paul is saying to this church that was being pulled away from the deity of Christ, he is all man, but he is all, say it with me, he's all God. He's all God. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. The message says it this way. Don't be dazzled with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. It's true, isn't it? It's true. He goes on to say, you don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of this universe without him. And it is empty without him, isn't it? This world is empty without Jesus. Because i got to be honest with you, my love of sports, my love of my teams, maybe your love of social media, maybe your love of entertainment, maybe your love of music, maybe your love of success, maybe your love of money, maybe all those things are good. But in my life, I know that at some point in time, those things will end and Jesus is still alive. And I fear that we're going to miss out on the fullness of Christ in our pursuit of the things of the world. We live alive when we're captivated by Christ. We live alive when we're captivated by Christ. Listen, if we are captivated by Christ, guess what? We won't be captured by anything else. It's true. If we're captivated by Christ, we're not going to be bent or, or we're not going to lean to being captured by the things of this world. If our eyes are on him, then our eyes won't be on the things of the world. And I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge you to live alive by being captivated by Christ. That's the first thing that Paul talks about. The second thing is for some of you going to be monumental for some of you, it's going to be monumental in, in terms of where your faith comes from and your faith background, your faith origin, if you will. For some of you, this is kind of like, yeah, I got it a long time ago. Not a big deal, but we need to be reminded of it. And that is, is that if we are going to live alive, we've got to stop spiritually trying to achieve. We've got to stop striving for spiritual achievement. 
You know, the church, I, I'm just going to be honest with you, the church has not done a very good job of keeping Jesus the main thing because we put a list of do's and don'ts together in large part that's based on our preference and our wants as humans, not God's word. <laughs> and I, I'm guilty of that. Guilty of that in my own life. Guilty of that with my kids. Perhaps even been guilty of that as your pastor. There's nothing wrong with having things in our life that help spur us on to get to know him better. There's not, nothing wrong with having things in our life that are, that are things that are religious in nature that will help us grow in our faith with him and love others and serve others and encourage others in their faith walk. But when it becomes the thing that we strive after for spiritual attainment itself, we're missing it completely. It's counterfeit. Verse 11, in him, I think that's the fifth time we've read in him. Do you see how much Christ being the centerpiece is everything him here? In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And then it says this, This he set aside. Say this last phrase loudly with me. Nailing it to the cross. And just to give you context here, some of these people that were coming from the outside were coming into this church saying, look, if you don't follow the old way of living, if you don't follow some of the, the laws and all the laws and these laws that we've made up, if you don't do this, then you're not spiritually rich. And for some of you, you need to start eating a certain way, and you need to start drinking a certain way to have a spiritual achievement. And for some of you, for some of you men, you haven't been circumcised, you need to be circumcised. And if I'm a man in this church, I'm glad Paul wrote the letter. I'll just leave that issue at that. Paul's saying that's not what it's about. It's not about all these old things. In fact, he ends there by saying in in verse 14, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You know what Paul's saying here? Jesus went to the cross, and by doing that, he paid the full debt that you owe for eternity. And he's saying to the church here, and he's saying to us, by trying to strive for some kind of spiritual achievement, you're paying a debt that's already been paid. Now, I'm not a banker. I'm certainly not an accountant. I'm not even great at math. And I know that's insanity. Who pays a debt that has already been paid? Who does that? It's done. It's been paid, and you didn't have anything to do with it. So stop striving for some kind of spiritual achievement. If those things add to your faith walk, if it deepens your relationship with Jesus, then by all means, go after them. But be careful. 
because those things aren't the real thing. He goes on here and he says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He says in putting them um, open to shame, triumphing, uh, triumphing over them, verse 15. Verse 16 says this, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. This was something that was coming up. Or with regards to festivals or new moon or the Sabbath, all of these ritual things. And then in verse 17, and here's where I want to land for, for the remainder of our time. He says this in verse 17. These things, all of these things that are spiritually things that, that people were viewing as spiritual achievements... All those things that people were judging, he says, don't pass judgment on other people for it. He says, all of these things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. We have a lady in our church who's part of our um, uh, uh, groups on Monday nights that meets young adults, and her name is Lydia, and Lydia just went over um, to Greece to study through Ralston College for, for the last few months, and they were studying Greek, the Greek language in Greece, which is pretty awesome, right? So Justin and I and our staff, Josh, we have all these tools that we could look up these words, but I've always been curious about shadow, so I thought I'd have Lydia answer it just to see what, what she has to say about it with a fresh mind. And, and, and I want to read a few things that she said about the word in verse 17 in the original language, shadow. She said it means shade, or yes, shadow, but we learn about it differently here in America. She says what it really means is the shape of where light doesn't land because something real is standing in between the ground and the sun. Whew. Thank you, Lydia. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. I remember Sydney, when she was a kid, they had a Christmas concert, and they were all standing on these risers in school, and there was one little boy, and it was probably like in first or second grade, and I remember him, he, he was like enamored with the light, and he was doing this the whole time, like half an hour of singing, and he did this, and he was making shapes out of the light, and I just laughed the whole time. Like, that's, that's me. That's me up there, like, in second grade. Oh, that's cool. And so we get, enamored with the, we get enamored with the shadow. We get enamored with the shape of the way things are, and we miss the real thing. And Paul's saying, be careful not to be taken up with just the shade that the real thing shows. Get taken up with the real thing. And by the way, there's more to come. There's so much more. She went on to say it's setting up a comparison between the real body and the shade or the shadow made by the real, by the real body. The shadow is the shape of the body, but not the real thing. So we live a life, Christ follower church, when we stop living and striving for spiritual achievement. Can we just stop and take a deep breath? All those boxes that you feel like you have to check spiritually. All that list of do's and don'ts. Even the good things. Even the things that are beneficial. All of those things ought to be a striving after him as a result of your faith. Not a striving for your faith. 
not a striving for spiritual gain. If we go after those things, we're going after the wrong things. So are you striving for spiritual achievement through old practices? Are you striving for, for spiritual achievement maybe through perfectionism? Are you striving for some kind of spiritual achievement through the approval of others? Or, or are you striving for spiritual achievement by paying a debt that's already been paid? It's time to stop. And the last thing I think Paul wants us to hear here is we live a life alive when we accept the approval of Jesus alone. And I personally struggle with this big time. You don't have to raise your hand. I will. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are people pleasers? It's a lid for me. It's a huge lid for me. And I would imagine it's a huge lid for many of you. We live a life that's a lie when we try to approve or seek the approval of other people. Man, it's all about him. Colossians 2, 18 through 20 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Justin's going to talk more about that next week. The worship of angels going on in detail about vision, puffed up, means arrogant, with, without reason by, by his sensuous mind. He says, let no one disqualify you, verse 19, not holding fast to the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? It's time for us to start living. Listen, Christ follower, it's time for us to start living alive instead of living a lie. It's time for us to be captivated with Christ. It's time for us to stop striving for spiritual achievement. And it's time for us to stop seeking the approval of anyone other than Christ and Christ alone. He's the one that holds everything together. And if we live a life striving after him, if we live a life tearing down all of those religious things that makes that we think makes us perfect or better or striving after some kind of spiritual achievement, and if we live trying to please him, then we are living a life that is, we're going to find satisfying, fully satisfying in Christ. What if, church, we all came together and lived that way? It would be amazing what God would do in through us. It'd be amazing the stories you'd be able to tell. We wouldn't have 12 people in baptism next time. We'd have 24. We'd have dozens of people lived seeking after Jesus. That's my prayer for our church. That was Paul's prayer for this church. But it's also my prayer for me and for you. That we would seek to live a life Father. I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help us. God, that you would tear down the things that we're seeking after. Father, that you would um, 
help me, help us, when we're captivated by something other than you. Maybe it's the, the image that we have in the world. Maybe it's our social media influence that we want to have or strive to have. Maybe it's finances and financial gain. Maybe it's social media itself. Maybe it's entertainment. God, maybe it's something that we're hearing from the world about our own identity that it sounds really good on the surface. But the reality is, is when we mix it with your word, we're living a lie. Father, I pray that you would create a group of people in this church, that you would create a heart in my life, oh God, in our lives, where we're captivated not by the things of this world, God, help us to be captivated by you. Father, I pray that you would help us to take some of those spiritual rituals that we've had in our past, that maybe we've had in our present, that maybe we think is good for our future, but all it does is create a sense of competition with others, striving after human created man-created means. Father, I pray that you would supernaturally tear some of those things down that need to be torn down in our life. Father, I pray that it would be replaced with, with time with you, with time in your word, with spending time with groups of people in this church or wherever we call our church home that would fill us up to full. And Father, lastly, I pray for those in the strong name of Jesus, like myself, that we seek to, to please the world around us. God, it just leads to death. It just leads to death. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be completely satisfied with you. God, that we wouldn't look to anything else to fill up our lives a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, understanding and knowing that you hold it all together. Thank you for being the God who provides. But not only do you provide for our eternity, you provide everything that we need today in this life for abundant living. Help us to stop living a counterfeit life. Help me, Father, to stop living a counterfeit life. May we live a life seeking after you, alive, Pray this in Jesus' name.